Welcome to Tangential Soup, a weekly podcast discussing life in Australia, technology, food, finance, and the like, hosted by myself, David Caddy, Melbourneian, independent developer, and tea enthusiast, as well as my good childhood friend, Alexander Carr, Sydney cider, slave to the man, karate practitioner, and lover of adventure. This week, we talk about Uber's fatal self-driving crash, Maya getting slaughtered, and some delicious slow-cooked pork. Before all that, we have a little bit of follow-up around the Atari box, or now what it will be called, the Atari VCS. <laughs> did you hear about this, Alex? Before uh, I, I did, the... yep. I did. But the first thing that struck me was Atari box is a much more memorable name than an Atari VCS. It does have a bit more of a ring to it than this sort of a random acronym, but uh, that's what it seems like they're going with. So as listeners may recall, we uh, mentioned that they were meant to go on pre-order towards the end of last year, but the company delayed the release to, quote, create the platform and ecosystem the Atari community deserves, end quote. (laughs) So now they're saying the new pre-order date will be announced in April. That's not saying that it will go on pre-order in April, just they'll say what the hell is actually going on in April. It'll cost between $250 and $300. I don't know if we already knew that detail or not. And as the speculation was growing, it will run a certain amount of PC games, but it won't run Windows. So it'll be interesting to see, A, sort of the power that it has behind it and what titles will actually be available for it. Um, But I suppose it's like SteamOS, right? There is a lot of games that run on Linux these days because it will have a Linux-based OS. So it, it could be interesting. Are you any more sort of taken with this idea, Alex? Or still pretty sceptical? Well, yeah, I, I seem to recall being quite sceptical last time we spoke about it, although it was a while ago. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of sat on the news for, for a bit and now they've kind of released this. I don't think that for me a console like this has a whole lot of value because... I mean, A, which basic video games are you going to be playing? I I suppose is a question. Um, And B, what kind of custom titles are going to be coming with the console itself? I suppose only the old school ones that you can kind of get emulators and all that for now anyway. But, I mean, Nintendo had huge success releasing their little mini versions of, like, the Super Nintendo and all that, didn't they? So, I guess... If that has all those exclusive games from back in the day, and it's only $250, which still, like, you can get an Xbox for that price, so it's not not cheap, but if you have that and you have the nostalgia and you have the ability to play an amount of sort of today's best games, then it could have some appeal. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think that if you were an Atari fan back in the day, then... Of course, it's going to be something very special to you. And it certainly has the look, like sitting there on your cabinet with the uh, wooden mm. panels and all that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, mean, I can see it. Not for me, though. Definitely not for me. No. Well, I never I played that. That was before my time. Mm. Yeah. Look, I, I, I think that um, if I were to get one, it, it wouldn't get played because I kind of... I have a limited amount of time to play games anyway, so... When I do, I'd probably be wanting to play games that I enjoy. And 
Yes, it's not like your Xbox get, gets much of a workout anywhere. No, that's true. <laughs> Did you see Uber's self-driving car crashed or hit a woman, I think? Yes, a female pedestrian and killed them? Yes, I did. Um, I don't know the situation around it, though. Was it to avoid a, a, a more kind of a costly accident? Was that was that the reason why the car hit her? I, I don't know. I don't, well, I this was in Arizona. It, the car doesn't seem to have slowed down or taken any sort of evasive action. As with most of these tests, there was someone in the vehicle that was meant to, I guess really take step in and take control in situations like this so i guess they were a bit asleep at the wheel too um i don't know the details are fuzzy it may be that the woman just kind of started crossing the road and didn't look like the pedestrian could have been completely in the wrong we don't know yet um but we know that the car didn't attempt to take any sort of evasive action and nor did the not driver, but the minder sitting in the vehicle. Um, regardless of what the outcome is, it does probably set this sort of stuff back a little bit. And Uber, of course, have suspended their testing program indefinitely on the back of this, which is probably sensible. Well, yeah, they have to do it. I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure that they were somewhat prepared for this kind of uh, event, though. I would imagine, at least. Well, yeah, it's it's always a risk, and they've got all the right permits and things in place. But I would, uh, yeah. I mean, it seems to me unlikely that it was a fault with the car. And what kind of control do the drivers have? Can they just completely take over control of the car if they need to at any point? I think they can, but yeah, of, of course, what everyone says with this sort of thing, which is probably true for these testing people as well, if you have a car that's doing the right thing and driving itself 99.999% of the time, mm. it's very hard to stay that focused. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, for like that whole time and then just be prepared to take over at a moment's notice. So it was probably all happened very quickly, I imagine. Yeah. Because if there was a lot of lead up, then it wouldn't have happened because the uh, person would have taken over, but... Do you know what I kind of think? I, I mean, I suppose they have training for this kind of thing, but if you're sitting behind a car that's driving itself, so the pedals, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the pedals still go in and out and the wheel still turns, right? That's how self-driving cars work? I imagine so. Like each one, well, there are there have been some like from Google where they like completely get rid of the manual controls, but in this case, and in a lot of cases, they'll take an existing car that exists out there in the world from whichever manufacturer, and then they'll retrofit all the sensors and smarts into it. Um, and usually, especially if it's designed for real-world testing, they'll have all the pedals and the steering wheel and all the manual controls still fully available to the minder in the car. So they're available and they, they work as well. well yeah, they'll, they'll, o- they'll override whatever the computer's trying to do with them. Right, okay, okay. So this lady's sitting there and the, the steering wheel, you know, while the car's driving itself, the steering wheel is still turning in front of her, the pedals are still pushing themselves down. So she can't kind of sit there and be holding on to the steering wheel. She's sitting there probably with her hands by her side and her feet away from the pedals. Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, obviously, I see. I assume they've kind of thought of this kind of thing, but how do you react quickly in that kind of situation? Because you have to actually then get your hand on the steering wheel. What's going to make it even more difficult is, 
you know, if the steering wheel is in, if the car is driving straight forward and the steering wheel is in kind of, you know, the set position, the kind of default position when the wheels are straight, that's easy. But what if you're trying to grab the steering wheel while it's turned 90 degrees? That just adds an extra amount of time to you actually preparing yourself in that position. So I think it's it would be difficult to react to something that has probably, as you said, happened in a split second mm-hmm. for the driver in, in this particular driverless car. Yes. So that woman before I mentioned that she was the victim, not the uh, driver. I don't know who the driver was. Yeah. Oh, it's it said in the news article that it was a woman driving. Oh, okay. Um, there was also some speculation earlier on that the uh, victim was a cyclist, but that's apparently not true. She was just on foot. Well, I mean, it's useless speculating now, isn't it, really? Could yes, be. they'll have to do a thorough investigation and we shall see mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what the outcome is. I mean, I suppose one, well, not good thing necessarily, but because of the amount of cameras and sensors all over this vehicle, even if it did nothing to react to the potential danger, it's probably all captured. So it's probably going to be quite clear who was in the wrong and who was in the right and what should have happened in that situation. Yes. Yeah, no, you're right. Have you, um, just as a sort of side note, but fairly related, have you heard of people in China jumping out in front of cars um, in order to get large payouts from rich owners? So... To do this, they'll only jump out in front of very rich-looking cars, you know, BMWs, Mercedes, whatever. Um, But they'll try and then get injured by these people um, because I don't exactly understand how it works, but in China you have the responsibility to pay for the medical fees and then, you know, potentially other costs associated with um, hitting or injuring somebody. So there's no kind of state care for these people. It has to be covered by the individual who... um, who causes the the particular uh, incident or injury or whatever. Hmm. So people jump out in front of these cars with the hope of getting injured by rich people who can then afford to pay them large amounts of money. (laughs) And obviously this would then put an end to that kind of thing, wouldn't it? You would think so. And that's also, I suppose, the reason in the huge increase uptick in uh, those dash cams. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of videos out there actually of people jumping in front of cars with dash cams on and trying to get themselves run over. Which is obviously just stupidity and I hope is not covered under the uh, Chinese legislation. Well, I think the hope is that they're so rich that they can actually cover this kind of thing without, you know, without taking it to the authorities and going through all the hoo-ha of that and just throwing some money at the problem. Mm. Because, I mean, you know, reasonably speaking, there would be a lot of witnesses to somebody's jumping out in front of a car in the middle of a busy freeway, which is what you see on video a lot of times from these dash cams where people actually just jumping in front of the cars and trying to get themselves squished, surrounded by pedestrians. Don't know if it's the, the best way to make a buck, but... <laughs> That's true. I suppose, I suppose when suppose. you don't have much, it's Yeah, there's a lot tempting. of desperation behind that mm. kind of decision, isn't there? Alrighty, commerce corner time. Yes. I saw, well, this is not probably news to anyone, but you even mentioned this the other day, Myers being slaughtered their stock price because they announced a almost $500 million first half loss this yes. year, which yeah. that is pretty sizable. How long do you think they're going to be able to keep limping along if something doesn't drastically change? Well, I mean, I think I've kind of talked about 
this before, how, how department stores like mine just aren't a feasible business model anymore. Um, which is sad for them, really. Why is Myers in particular, though, doing so badly? Um, I think it's just the way they operate. So they, they have a... Um, so they're a luxury kind of retailer, but they're a luxury retailer on a very, on a very large scale. Um, and I don't know how much of their business they do online, but I don't think they do much of it online. So it's all... Like, all the sales they get tend to be from their shops. Um, and they, you know, they, they have the... In Australia, they have they have the big locations in the big cities, but they rely on I think a large volume of people coming through their stores and buying a lot. Um, and I know that certainly if I go to Myers, I might go to Myers just to suss out the prices there, but then I'll go online and probably buy my stuff online mm. because I know it's going to be cheaper than buying from Myers. And I think a lot of people do the same thing. Yeah, they're really just a big showroom. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, you go there for nice brands, so I go there to try out cologne. But then I'll go online and try and find the cologne cheaper. Which you almost certainly will. Well, exactly, yeah. And like if you look at their stores, they have a lot of people on their floors. They do. They have a power of employees. Although most of those, I think, are subcontracted out to like the various um, cosmetic brands and fashion brands, are they not? I, I don't know. Or at least there's some sort of split happening there yeah because you know you go into Myers these days in the clothing section or cosmetics everything is broken into brands mm. Mm. and you know all those employees that are manning those particular booths are have like you know all the the branding of that particular brand on them so i don't know if they directly work for Myers. yeah 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 look i um i know the other thing with Myers is they own topman or Topshop or something. Like oh, yeah, Topshop, Topman, Topman, Topshop. Yeah, whatever, whatever that one's called. It's um, another clothing retailer. But basically, they're going to have to shut down that entire business. So they bought them in like 2011 or something like that, um, and with it, with the intention of trying to build 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 a build another brand, like another Myers type brand. Um, and the company's completely tanked. So that's what when they say they've had a 515 million dollar impairment i think that's writing down the uh the cost of uh topman because they're just not making money from those stores oh uh, okay well then maybe things aren't that bad if that's mostly where their losses come if they get rid of that then they'll be profitable again presumably mm. in the second half or be i don't think my stores are profitable though and also as well they've um one of the, another reason why the share price is dropping is they cancelled the dividends. So a lot of investors look for growth in their shares, but some, especially if you're buying an established brand like Myers, you'd expect to be getting a good dividend mm. from your from your share, just because they're established and they're supposed to be making decent profit and they're supposed to have a strong book. Um, but Myers, I think, have a lot of debt. Their share price has dropped a lot, and they're they're not they're not selling the way they used to. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the end of Myers in a few years. Mm. And David Jones. And, uh, well, yeah. I mean, they go hand it. They're owned by the same company, aren't they? Are they? I didn't realise that. It seems very stupid if they are, given, well, at least they're set up in Melbourne with the two main stores, like, directly opposite each other and then stocking, like, the same things in both. Well, I mean, that's the idea, isn't it? They just kind of create their own competition. I suppose. A lot of retail space there, and if they're you know losing money, I'd shop, I'd shut one and then only keep the other one open. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not in charge. No, no. Well, 
If yeah, things I'm were going great, I could understand it, but yeah. But it depends. I don't know how they're listed exactly because it might depend on how they're listed. Because if they're listed as two separate companies, they may have the same ownership, but they still each company still has its own interests. Right, so you can't really yeah. be using one to further the interest of the other. Yeah, true. Fair enough. Um, I didn't realize they were all part of the same group. I, I, they may not be. That's just I don't know where I got that idea from. <laughs> They're, they're basically the same company, though, right? I mean, well, yeah, they basically are. Parent company Woolworths Holding Limited. Oh, okay. All right. Well, they're not owned by the same company, then. Owned by the juggernaut Woolworths, so they might still keep keep getting propped up for a while yet. Well, maybe that's their plan. Try to wait for Myers to die off, and then they'll be the only one, and then they might be able to scrape through and make a bit <laughs> of a profit. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a difficult place to uh, to sit in right now. And as I said, I don't think they've gotten much into the online selling at all, which is really where the future is. It's stupid that they haven't. But well, it's there. They do offer it, but it's not the best service. Yeah, and their website again is pretty lackluster. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it, these things aren't hard. I know I say the same thing every time, but it, it's not a hard thing to do. It's like when they're losing five hundred million dollars, chuck, I don't know, fifty grand at it. You'll improve it vastly. I, you know, mm. oh, of I don't understand. Of course. Anyway, they're just acting as a showroom for the time being. Now, I um, I actually noticed something that I did want to share on this because this, this is something that's really interested me and this is the same kind of information that I guess like this is the same type of thing that sank the uh, the share market in 2008. Um, so basically, I have shared an article with you about the... Uh, is this the Russell 2000? The Russell 2000, the average PE ratio in the Russell 2000. What is the Russell 2000? So the Russell 2000 is the top 2,000 companies in the U.S. stock market. Ah, okay. And the P-E ratio, to explain it very basically, with my very basic knowledge, is the price-to-earnings ratio. So basically, it's how how much earnings you get out of each share that you buy from a company, and it's a percentage figure. So say I'm getting $0.10 for every share that I own, and each share is worth $2.00, uh, the EPS would be uh, 5%, I think. <laughs> Is that correct? 5%. It 10... sounds right to me. Yeah, 5%. So that would make the PE ratio, the price of the share, divided by the earnings per share, um, which is 5%, which equals... Uh, I should know. pick slightly easier enough. Do the math. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, let's just make it 20 cents. So it's 10. So then it's 20. So it should make the, the um, PE ratio... 10, basically. Should yeah. give you that round figure, 10. Um, so PE ratio, it's not like it doesn't really tell you a whole lot, generally speaking. It tells you something. It tells you basically if the share price stays exactly the same as it is and the company keeps paying out dividends of exactly the same amount that they were paying out previously, it takes, tells you how long it would take for you to get your the amount you put into the share back in dividends alone, right? Okay. So it's it's a somewhat useful metric when you're looking at um, buying shares purely for income purposes, and it kind of becomes a lot more relevant in shares like 
in shares in really established companies or in like utilities companies that don't really have a fluctuating share price that much, they might be going up. They won't go up a whole lot. Um, and they're fairly stable and fairly established. Mm. So basically nothing's going to happen to them. You would assume their dividend's going to remain about the same. So it just kind of gives you that idea of what um, of what to expect from the company in just purely in terms of earnings though. And But like it is a useful thing to see where the market is in general. Because if you look at things like tech stocks, which are almost exclusively growth stocks, right? Mm. Which means that they don't pay much in terms of dividends. They do pay dividends, but they don't tend to pay out a lot of their profit in dividends because they're using those profits to reinvest in the company and to grow the company, which will then, the majority of the time, mean the share price will rise. So your profit technically, or usually that you get from these particular companies, is more in terms of a rising share price than in terms of the dividends or income you get paid out from the company. Okay. And generally speaking, for indexes as a whole, like um, the ASX 200 is, is an index, and the, the PE ratio, I don't know what the PE ratio is, but it's probably between 20 to 25. Um, but it's really easy to look up, ASX 200 PE ratio, and it's just the average PE ratio across all of the, um, all of the stocks in, in the index itself. And it just kind of gives you an idea of how much people are paying for particular shares and also gives you an idea of where the market is in general. Yeah. Um, so why this is relevant for this particular subject, though, is that um, in the article that I've shared with you, the Russell 2000 Index is just, as I said, the top 2000 companies in the world. And they have been reporting their PE ratio, their average PE ratio for the index as about 226 Right, mm-hmm. which means that if you were to buy, you know, an average weighting of each share on the total index, your average PE ratio across everything would be twenty point six. Sorry, twenty two point six. Which means that if all the companies, their share prices all stayed exactly the same, they paid out exactly the same dividends, then you would be getting your money back in twenty two point six years, for the amount that you'd put in there. Okay, on dividends alone. Right. So that's. Not as good as the normal average, even though these are the top best companies. It's, no, no, that's that's about the same. That's what you'd expect in a market that's growing. Okay. Um, probably between twenty to thirty is is a fairly healthy ratio, PE ratio, um, for like all the companies because growth companies, as I said, usually have a larger PE ratio, just because they don't pay out very high dividends. Yeah. Okay. But that's then usually balanced by the utilities and the bigger companies that pay out higher dividends but don't expect as much growth in the share price. So generally speaking, like the PA ratio, it goes up and down. Like it usually really the the fluctuation you'll see is it'll be between maybe like 15 to probably about 30 to perhaps 35 if the market is really excited. Um, but if it starts to get higher, it means that people are paying a lot just to buy a share because mm-hmm. they expect very high growth. So the reason this is relevant is that, as I said, they've been, they've been reporting their PE ratio as 22.6. But what they've been doing is they haven't been taking into account um, shares or stocks or companies, rather, that are actually losing money. And the reason for this is you can't actually calculate a PE ratio or you get um, a very high, and it's kind of a skewed figure PE ratio if you're looking at a company that's losing money um, because you don't have that positive figure to start your... Um, your earnings with and because they're not paying out dividends you get kind of like a negative PE ratio and it doesn't it doesn't really work for these type of um, calculations but they are still relevant obviously because 
it gives you an idea of how much people are paying for stocks. So if you take into account these companies that are losing money, which is about 10% of the total index or the total 2,000 companies, about 200 of those are losing losing money on the uh, Russell 2000, the PE ratio actually jumps up to 89.2. Right. Which is like a lot higher. Mm. And those are the kind of... Like when you have an average PE ratio of anywhere above 50, it means that you're paying a lot for a company. Some people are willing to do that. Like Amazon, I think, usually runs at a PE ratio of 80 or something, or it has in the past. And that that still made a lot of money. So that's been a wonderful investment if you bought Amazon. But just generally speaking, when you have a whole index that's running that high, it means that probably people are a bit too excited about the uh, the shares in the, in the in the index, and they're probably paying a lot for them. And it probably means that um, everything's a bit expensive at the moment. But it's relevant because it's not actually been reported on. I mean, obviously, some private company has, has kind of discovered this and it's been published in the news. But it's just weird that the index itself doesn't actually acknowledge that and people have to go out and do their own research. So what is this again, the Russell 2000? Is it across all stock markets in the U.S.? Because there's two main ones, isn't there? Or am I getting well, confused? So they're not actually stock markets. They're, they're indexes, I think is what you're referring to. Right. So there's, there, there, there are exchanges that shares trade on, but, yeah. the, um, but the Russell 2000 isn't an index. Oh, sorry, isn't a, a, like an exchange that the shares are trading on. It's an index. So all it does is it looks at the top 2,000 companies by market cap in the US. It's just a listing service. It's just a, it's just a listing service. So it gives people a general idea of the companies in the US at the moment, who those companies are, what their market cap is, and then it just puts them all into a particular index. And then it out of that index, it draws particular statistics. And it also looks at the average kind of gains or losses across the um, across its index as well. So it may say that the total market cap for the Russell 2000 went up by 1% yesterday. And then people just look at that and they just basically get an idea of how the market's going based on those figures. Okay, but because they're not holding the shares themselves, then it's not like they're really deliberately misleading anyone. It's more this they think that the way they do their calculation is more helpful than taking that into account. Well... You wouldn't think so, but yes and no. But I mean, when you provide a service like these indexing services are very important because they basically, if they're getting their figures wrong, then they're providing incorrect information, which the market very strongly relies on. Mm. I mean, am I saying that like it doesn't really kind of have anything to do with them? Sure, it'll impact the market, but it's not like they're manipulating the market. I would well, unless they are. <laughs> Behind the scenes, like buying and selling, but actually, you know what? I've completely got this index wrong. It's not the top two hundred two thousand companies in the. Um, sorry, my bad. It's not the top two thousand companies in the US. It's a small cap stock index. So basically, it's from the small cap stocks, which is the lower stocks in the um, in the market. It's the bottom two thousand of those. Oh, so it's like the worst performing ones. No, just the smallest ones. So the ones that have the smallest market value. Right. So like the the startup companies, kind of. Um, well, potentially the startup companies, yeah. Or just really low volume ones. Yeah, yeah. And just just don't don't have much business to kind of get around with. So yes, that is quite different. 
It is very different, yeah. But it's it's still quite relevant because it would still make up quite a large portion of the market. It would, yeah. But it still kind of gets onto my larger point, which is the fact that we rely on these figures provided by these indexes and, you know, also the figures provided by these brokering companies. Um, you know, they, they kind of do these calculations and a lot of people rely on them. But the data isn't actually always true or relevant or you know, based on the things that we think it's based on. Yes, you've got to be careful, I suppose. Yeah. Well, now you know about this, you can use it to your full advantage. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, though, to be honest. So what's your roast for today, Alex? Well, actually, today's going to be a double roast. Right now, I have a roast pork sitting in the oven. Why double roast? Um, Just for added challenge, because you're getting far too good at <laughs> Not quite, I wish. No, um, it's because I, um, I've been wanting to do a slow cooked roast pork for so long now and I haven't, um, I haven't kind of figured out the perfect formula for it. And I think it's just because I haven't been giving it enough time in the oven. Um, and also on my last one, I didn't seal the, uh, the roast properly. So it got quite dry. So right now, um, I'm probably going to be leaving this bit of pork in the oven for maybe four to five hours. Uh, and then I'm going to be taking it out, taking the foil off and then chucking it in the oven for maybe another half an hour or so and then after that uh it should i'm just trying to get a piece of pork that falls apart when you touch it i don't even know if that's possible but i think it is you can slow cook pork right pretty sure that's a thing yeah they do slow cook pork yeah all sorts of things like and that just sort of shreds up really easily and Mm. they put it on things Mm. yeah that's definitely a thing it is yeah yeah so there you go that's my plan and what's the other one um the other one is going to be a slow cooked lamb I'm all about slow cooking today. Can your oven fit two at the same time? Uh, Should be able to, actually, yeah. Um, But I was actually thinking of just finishing the... Because the pork's been in since about 8.30 this morning. So I was thinking of finishing the pork and then heading straight on to the lamb after that. Because the lamb needs about four hours. So the pork should be done by maybe about 2.30. Is it for the same meal or do you eat it like during the week? Well, no, this is for during the week. Okay. yeah. It's like going to be a lot of meat, but I'm ready. <laughs> Your body's prepared. I'm prepared, yes. <laughs> what else have you cooked in recent times? Um, I did a really good bolognese the other day, actually. I'd say it was my uh, one of my crowning bolognese pieces, actually. So I did. Um, I just used my regular pasta recipe, which I've become quite good at as well. So I do a base of... Um, I don't like celery, so I do the classic base of onion, to, um, onion carrot, but instead of celery, I do um, a zucchini, and then I just kind of saute that, and um, and then just really just chuck some pre-cooked meat on top of it, just some um, mincemeat and a whole bunch of herbs, and then let it sit in that for maybe an hour or so, and um, and then I add a jar of pre-made um, tomato sauce pasta tomato sauce i know that some people say that you know it's cheating or anything but i never really had a problem with it it's a lot easier than trying to flavor your own tomato sauce Mm. um and then that's that's it that's all you need to do super easy yeah bolognese is pretty easy you can chop up little bits of bacon and chuck that in there as well oh that sounds good yeah you just gotta have time why do you let it sit for so long though what does that um i think it just i never do that with mine (laughs) 
Well, it just helps bring out the um, the the flavor of the vegetables and just make sure the vegetables are all kind of cooked. Because I find that sometimes if you sit there and saute them, like they don't they don't properly soften up. So especially because I do like I do two zucchinis, a couple of carrots, and like an onion or two onions. Yeah, the carrots are always tricky. Yeah, but what I do with that usually is I cheat a bit and I steam them for like ten fifteen minutes beforehand. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. Well. But then don't you find that, like, you kind of lose some of the flavor if it's... Because I like it to be a little bit hard when it's going into the sauce so that then when it's softening up, it's just releasing the flavor into the sauce. Yeah, no, yours is probably the better way, but mine's quicker, so... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, look, don't get me wrong, I love quick recipes, but I find that when it comes to sauces and stuff like that, if you want the meat to be nice and soft as well, you've got to give it a good amount of time in the juice to kind of soften up. Um, so I find that like, you'll know if a bolognese has not necessarily cause it tastes worse, but you'll know if a bolognese hasn't been cooked for as long because the minced beef or the minced meat, whatever meat you use sticks together a lot better. Mm. Whereas if it's been slow cooked for a while, then you'll kind of get that, that, that meat that's falling apart a lot more. Yeah, that is true. That makes sense. Um, but at the same time as you know, the, there's no, there's no hugely compelling reason why you can't be cooking a nice bolognese sauce in you know, half an hour or 45 minutes. Mm. And aside from that, I did a Guinness stew on uh, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very festive. So it was it was festive, yeah. And I'm actually going to try that again. Did it turn out well? It turned out really well, yeah. So I, I have my stew recipe as well, which um, is basically what you do is uh, chop up your stew meat or, you know, buy it pre-chopped or whatever, um, and then put it in a, um, like a little sandwich bag with uh, flour, salt, pepper, um, paprika, uh, and a bit of thyme. Um, and I think I've forgotten a herb, but that's the gist of it, basically. And then you kind of shuffle it all up, make sure that the meat's covered in flour, and then you um, just gently fry that to just get it a bit brown on the outside. Um, and then... Chuck it in a pot with um, some stock mixture. I used Guinness instead of um, stock last time because, you know, Guinness stew. And uh, some tomato paste. And I think that's actually it. Oh, and a couple of bay leaves. Um, and then you just leave it there. I actually slow cook mine again because I love slow cooking stuff because it gets the meat nice and soft. Um, so I actually get it to the boil on the uh, stove top and then I chuck it in the oven. Um, at pretty low heat, maybe like 100 or 90 degrees in fan forced. Um, and I just leave it there for maybe about two hours or so. And then you should, like when you open it up, all the meat should be kind of nice and soft. And then you chuck your veggies in. So you, um, I just, I think, put carrot and um, potato in with it. And then you mix it all together, make sure the potato and carrot are all kind of like... You, there shouldn't be a lot of mix, a lot of water in the mixture, but there should be like a little bit of liquid. So that then the potato and carrot kind of have something to soak up, um, and then chuck it back in the oven for maybe an extra hour, um, and then you're done. But that gets a really thick stew. If you want a more stewy stew, just add more liquid, and then it'll kind of be stewy stew, more stewy, I guess. <laughs> but I'm going to try and make that into the base of a uh, a pie. Oh yeah, that would be nice. So pie meat, yeah. That's, that's my plan. Have you done many so, pies or pastry-orientated dishes? Well, that's my plan for today, and it's actually my first pie I've ever done. So hmm. I'll let you know how it goes. I'll take some pictures. Yes, please do. Um, okay, so for a new segment now, 
the linguistic slice. Oh, yes. So I was just looking up a few entomology, uh, origin of a few words and phrases the other day, and I just thought that I would mention them because I find this stuff quite interesting. I don't know whether you do. I do, I do. I like uh, the origins and where, where our language comes from. So I assume you've heard all of these um, phrases and terms, but mm-hmm. stop me if you haven't. Mm-hmm. From soup to nuts. No. You haven't heard that? I have not. It means from one thing to another or from like A to Z, like a complete collection of something. From soup to nuts, essentially. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Definitely not. Oh, okay. Well, that arose um, fairly early on, although we're not sure when, probably the start of the 1900s or late 1800s, where quite often if you would have a many-course meal, you would start with soup and oftentimes end with nuts. And so, hence, from soup to nuts came about. Okay, I see. Hmm. Soup to Okay, why would nuts be at the end? suppose because they didn't have, like, ice cream to finish off your meals with. Well, that we're not really sure about. Sometimes they would have other sweeter things, but quite often it would be nuts. Because, like you say, yeah, they didn't have some of the many, many sweet dishes that we have today. Mm. Okay. Mm. I like it. I like it. Um, there's a pork chop in every beer. <laughs> Again, I haven't heard it. You haven't heard that one. That one is quite recent. Um <laughs> So, for example, if a bartender said to you after ordering a drink and you said, uh, and they asked you whether you wanted to see a menu, you could say, uh, no thanks, there's a pork chop in every beer. Basically alluding to the fact that the calories within a beer are roughly equivalent to one pork chop. Roughly. Of course, the nutritional value is completely different, being a pork chop has mostly protein. Um, and beer is sort of carbohydrates and alcohol. Yes. But calorie-wise, roughly equivalent, which is where the term came from, and is still in, well, not very common usage, but apparently you hear it every now and again. I haven't actually heard that one in real life, but... Okay. Yeah, I I saw that pop up. Another another kind of alternative to that, Mm -hmm. I know that we're discussing facts and alternatives, but the way I understood it at first was... Have you ever heard of someone being referred to as a pork chop, as in being a bit silly? Yes. And <laughs> drinking beer is, you know, a bit silly, just just by definition, because you pay money for it and, you know, it doesn't improve your life in any real way. So, you know, and people say that you're, like, in your beers, as in you're having drinks. So that was kind of my initial understanding of what that phrase meant. Right. Yeah, that kind of works as well. Hmm. Double meaning. Yeah. Well, I mean, single real meaning and possible alternative. Yes. False meaning. Have you heard of sort of the, um, I don't know what you call this, it's kind of a prefix but not right, sort of like a qualifier, I guess, stone cold? Yes. Like stone cold sober? Yes. So how would you understand that to mean if I said stone cold sober? Like what's the stone cold in that phrase actually conveying? Okay, well, that's actually very interesting because I have heard the phrase, but my understanding of it was more around just being very sober. and So being sober is kind of being sensible. So it's just, in my mind, being very sensible and sober. Yes. So 
mostly, although this sort of um, changes between how it's used, but mostly it sort of means completely. So completely sober. Okay. Is this stone cold sort of variant. But there's other things that are referred to as stone something, like stone blind, which is like completely blind. Yes. So where do you think stone or stone cold, sort of how that became to mean completely? Stone cold. Okay, well, hmm. Uh, okay, so so stone is obviously something that's very hard and yeah. unyielding. And um, perhaps in older times when houses were made of stone, I don't know. Yeah, I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to say you weren't too far off the mark, but you probably were a little bit. Um, <laughs> so back in like... Even as far back as the late 1600s, there's reference to Stone Cold. And in those times, it was really only used in sort of one particular case, which was describing the condition of a corpse being Stone Cold or very, Ah. very cold. And so obviously when you're dead, that's kind of your final state. So it sort of became finally or completely and then was used in front of many things. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one, actually. I like that. Um, And it's one I've heard of as well. (laughs) Yes. And this other one you've probably heard of. Uh, Lastly, footing the bill. Yes. Meaning to pay the bill. Where do you think that came from? Ooh, okay. All right. So give me a couple of guesses here because I've got got a few. Okay. So my first one is um, in kind of older times, there was the position of the footman. Mm -hmm. And... um, Perhaps it had something to do with having your footman, like, presenting your... Uh, no, okay. Wait, wait, I got this. So, giving... Making sure that your footman... Okay, so people wouldn't have paid for their own stuff back in the olden days. They perhaps would have had servants to do it if you were rich. So, maybe you had your footman go and pay the bill. Something like that. Or if it's not that... <laughs> Kind of, that one lost a bit of momentum because it didn't really make sense by the end. It's not that, but I like it. I like it. Um, footing the bill. Okay, no, I had. I thought it might do, have something to do with the dance or something like that, but no, I've got nothing. Okay, so footing back in like the late 1500s, early 1600s, was quite often used in accounting to mean the act of adding up figures in a list and placing a total at the foot of the column. Ah. So when someone asked you to foot the bill, it was kind of a euphemism for pay the bill, but a polite way of saying, can you check over this, make sure it's right, and also pay. Um, (laughs) And so that original context fell away and now it just means to pay the bill. Well, that's that's another good one. I like that one. I think that I tend to like the ones more that I've heard of. Yes. <laughs> but now you might go around saying some soup to nuts. Maybe I will. Perhaps I will. New I mean, phrase. It's possible. Bring it back. Bring it back into common usage. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for joining me, Alex. Not a problem, David. Pleasure as always. You can follow and get in touch with us on Twitter at Tangential Soup, and you can find this week's show notes for more information about today's topics at tsp.fm/36. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with anyone you think might also. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Ciao. been playing a bit of Fortnite, Alex, on the Xbox. Um, yes, David, I, I have. And uh, I'm not very good. Uh, most of my losses have been quite absolute and very near to the start of the game. But on my first um, on my first playthrough on Xbox One, I, uh, I actually got third place. Oh, that's pretty good. It's all right. For those that aren't aware that Fortnite is one of these other games like PUBG that is a battle royale style game where each individual or individual teams get dropped into a map and it's basically a fight to the death, last person standing type arrangement. So coming third, I think there's a hundred that are in Fortnite. Hundred people. Yeah. Yeah. So out of a hundred, you came third, which is pretty damn good for a first game. Yeah. But do you know how I did it? Hiding. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I ended up in a place where nobody else was. And I kind of figured out the dynamics of the game pretty quickly, but nobody else dropped into my landing site. So I, you know, I looked around, I got all the weapons from the landing site. I was doing pretty well. Um, and I kind of, you know, I, I followed the storm in, in, in more, more, more. And until I, I didn't see anybody until I saw, I think I saw one person when I, when I was in like fifth place. So there were five people left and that was the first person that I saw. <laughs> and then, um, you know, two more people died and I was kind of hiding and hiding. And, um, yeah, and then I got I got killed and I was in third place because someone shot me. That's pretty lucky. How would you go the rest of the time? How many games did you play? Um, oh, I played I played a few. So I ended up in, ugh, like, 80th place several times in a row. Actually, no, I got another third place. Two I got thirds. another third place on my very last game. But that was another situation where I didn't <laughs> see anybody throughout the entire game. So luck and not so much skill-based. Oh, definitely luck based, yeah. yeah. But I got I got third place because there were still about eight people left, and I got killed by a team of people, mm. which I'm beginning to appreciate. Is how you should play the like game. It's better to play as, as a team. Yeah. yeah, it is free, isn't it? It is free. Yeah. yeah, and I think you said you can play across platforms. I noticed that when I was searching, I'm only searching for other Xbox One players, so I don't know how to change that in the settings. But yeah, I think it's slightly complicated. Um, also, it's weird because they're bringing out mobile versions of the game now. It's on iOS, but you need an invite, and it will soon be on Android. And so you'll you'll be able to play with everyone, except you can't play with PS4 and Xbox. Um, as in, you could have everyone on every different thing. You could have someone on a computer and on a phone... And then you could have someone on Xbox, and that would be fine. Or you could have mm-hmm. someone on computer, phone, PlayStation, fine. But you can't have a group that consists of someone with a PlayStation and an Xbox. Not because Microsoft care, they don't, but Sony don't want you to be able to play with other Xbox people. Okay. And there's restrictions within their like, terms of service and all this, which means the developers have to go through these hoops of like making sure that that never happens. It's a bit sad, isn't it? But otherwise, it's pretty cool that we can have a game that is on consoles, PCs, and now also mobile devices, and it really just looks a bit different, but it plays exactly the same on all three of these, and it's ridiculously popular as well.
Yeah, it's so popular. I think it's overtaken um, PUBG in revenue, even though it's a free game. Where do they get their revenue from? Well, there's in a, a in-game sort of items that you can buy, you know, cosmetic things. Um, mm. I don't really know, but they've made millions and millions of dollars. Good for them. Yeah. Just goes to show there is a market for those things. Yeah, and if you do it right, unlike uh, EA with their Battlefront. I know. <laughs> and making it sort of play to win and unlock, you know, very vital things. But if you do it on a cosmetic level and you have people enjoy the game and play it enough, they will pay eventually. So I heard that um, EA had actually cancelled a lot of the in-game transactions in Battlefront. They have changed a lot, but they lost so many players early on that they might have to wait until they bring out the third one before it really kicks back up again. Yeah. Well, it's their own fault. Hopefully they've learned a bit of a lesson there. I don't think so. You can be money-grabbing, but you can't go ridiculous with it. Yeah. It's a little bit sad, really, though, isn't it? Did you see the US were trying to... I think it was the US, trying to bring in some sort of restrictions around, like, loot crate-style things? Or not so much restrictions, actually, just like a warning on games that require that have in-app purchases to buy things that are based on luck. Because some people are saying that it's a, it equates a little bit to gambling. Right, okay. Mm. I, I hadn't heard that, but it makes sense, I suppose. Mm. I mean, yeah, those, those, these purchases are so gross. It's, ugh. Especially if it's the only way to do it, right? There's a lot of games that you can, like buy or win this crate and it might give you something or you buy it for a very small amount of money but then you can actually unlock character x or gun x for x amount of money yeah and so if you wanted to you could go okay i really want that thing and just buy it whereas ea were doing it in battlefront i don't know if that's changed now but you can never actually guarantee that you're going to get anything but you can buy a zillion loot crates to get some you know to try and have the chance of getting it which uh, people were saying were a bit it was a bit rough, really. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah. 